0: Hey, and we are back here on Deconstructor of Funds This Week in Games podcast. Myself, Michigan Katkoff, Eric Kress, Joseph Kim. So the regular crew is back. And we have some amazing topics that JK has been has been uh mining for us. So we, we're gonna we're gonna go back to the previous episode from Tweak 30. We were supposed to talk about the truth about hyper-casual games. So definitely today we're gonna talk about it because that's the first topic about, on it. Uh, then we're going to touch upon Respawn's Apex Legends and how they're going to stick to the seasonal updates to improve quality and avoid crunch. And I'll, I'll actually have a question about that. So and, um, we're going to talk about uh, this exclusive news with where Google is banning a Play Store developer with more than half a billion app installs. And finally, if we have time, we're going to touch upon this boring subject of PlayStation Now has 700,000 users use contributed to sony's increase in sales so so those are the topics <laughs> but um it's just no it's not boring it's just it's it's the stuff that i can't get into because it's on console but uh we got a couple of news so uh last last week jk did this podcast episode on why ab tests fail and how to improve them i think oh there's how written twice oh my god i was probably drunk when i <laughs> I published this. All right. So uh, so he has an excellent podcast episode on A B testing that you should listen It's on the same Deconstructor of Fun podcast. And the second thing, Joe has been a busy bee. So if you go to DeconstructorFun.com, uh, you can find the Game Makers Vlog Season 1. So Joe has been filming straight out of LA these uh, amazing vlog pieces. They're on YouTube. So he's, talk- he's, he's talking with Brian Sapp from. From Jam City, their head of uh, performance marketing about how to get 40 million installs, only 40, only 40 million installs. He's talking about one of his um, subordinates, Victor Vang, <laughs> a product manager on, on Jurassic Park. So, of course, you probably started with Victor, right?
1: Uh, I think that might have been the, actually, that wasn't the first one we shot, but first one, mm-hmm. yeah, first one put live.
0: Yeah, you were just, yeah, you know, you're just like, Victor, you report to me, so we're doing it. <laughs> <We're doing that laughs> little um and then uh then you met with the uh game concept um uh, no concept art studio uh that makes um what do they make i haven't well, watched Se-
1: section studios which is a concept art studio uh-huh. but then um also have one with concept art house
0: mm, yeah, her, her. as well yeah everybody everybody knows those so uh uh sections founder is cecil kim is he uh related What's <laughs> the plot? <plug?
2: laughs> Paul Kim's must be related, right? The guy, right. He, he, he's pretty yeah.
1: famous for doing a lot of like God of War stuff, you know, art and stuff like that.
0: But yeah, uh, that wasn't really the answer to the question, but all right, so let's skip it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
1: But the one that everyone has got to check out is The Origin Story of Deconstructor of Fun. That's, <laughs> that, you must watch that one. <laughs>
2: I'll be honest. I, I I suffered through that one. You know, watching oh my back God. off just ba 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 ba
0: yeah, 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 that was. I was I was caught off guard. Mm. <laughs> they asked me for for you know like let's have coffee. Me and my wife. We're just gonna you know shoot the shit, <laughs> maybe record something. And it was GDC week. I'm tired as fuck and doing GDC just the jet lag and everything. So, so my apologies for whatever I said, but you know it is what it is and um (laughs) and um yeah I think think oh what else oh Joe you're I mean this is all about Joe now so Joe you're yeah you're at MAU I've been I've been stalking you on Instagram you're in Vegas you get all these rumors that that you're just you know piling in trying to not dispel uh but we'll probably touch upon MAU next week or do you want to say anything about it
1: well, yeah. I mean, I I will just have to say that you know this is my first MAU, but like the the partner like events and uh, you know dinners and things like that is is way out of control. <laughs> it's it's crazy, but you know. So uh, I don't know if you saw, but uh, you know, but it's it's cool, you know. So with a partner, went to see uh, Bruno Mars last night. Oh my God! Got to be ride tomorrow. It, it, oh it, come it, it, on! <laughs> Yeah. What is they, this
2: boondoggle Bullalone, <laughs> dude? That's unbelievable.
1: <laughs> yeah, like ad partner. Anyway, it's are, it, it, it's um, pretty crazy, but you know, it's it's good meeting all the other sort of you know UA folks and um, you know uh, you know partners and stuff like that. So it's cool.
2: I miss yeah, those good. days when you have the discretionary budget to do things that <laughs> are completely for no particular reason <laughs> besides I mean, getting wasted. You know. Anyway, I, good, I good for you, a-
0: dude. Some of the ad partners have, you know, back in the days of uh, taking me, you know, surfing in Malibu, meeting at Nobu. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, we were, we were we were really tight. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, there's that. And uh, what else I was supposed to say? Um, I forgot. I think I forgot. I think it's time to jump into. Oh, no, I was supposed to say that Eric is, is su- just killing it with your predictions uh, on Zynga, right? Well, so far
2: Zynga, I look really, really smart. I will be honest that I do not look so smart on glue because their stock is pressing up to like $11 right now. So my hope is that, and Zynga just announced and they basically are up 10% after hours and their stock is around $6. Um, so that's doing exactly what I expected. I am hoping that they screw the pooch on this next earnings call and take two and sorry. And, uh, and glue stock gets destroyed. That's that's my hope.
0: So, you're, but so, it's we'll so just in order for you to be right, you hope that Google stock, uh, glue stock, goes down, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, uh, that's very fair. But no, fair we view. made
2: the prediction that it's going to be at four dollars by the end of the year. And when we made that prediction, I think it was at $8 and now it's at eleven dollars. So I look Who's like a moron, we?
0: right? Who's a we? <laughs> well,
2: I, I, well. <laughs> I think Joseph and I like both yeah. made this
0: prediction. Yeah, okay. So, so you two. I think but
2: but the honest truth, we are not wrong yet, right? Okay. We said by the end of the year that stock will be down to four dollars, right? No. So we got um, we got a one. No,
1: nothing personal to, to glue <laughs> if you work at glue. We love you guys, but uh, it's just 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 uh, these are just predictions. So. Yeah,
0: it's it's just a game for you guys. Like yeah. <laughs> Um so, so you're definitely hoping that the Sorcerers Arena, which just came out from Glue. I don't know oh. if it just came out or at least it's it's here out in Finland, so I've been running ads, looks fantastic. Um you're hoping that it takes t- it. I mean, the art style and everything looks fantastic. Oh, you are out of your mind, dude. That game is garbage. <laughs> Come on. You have you have Did you play a, it? <laughs> I've downloaded it. I haven't had yet the time to play. I'm deep in AFK arena. Right, so right.
2: this is your homework. You know, play the game. And all then right.
0: Next time we get together, you tell me how great this game is. Okay. Right. So, okay
1: so, so next week we're going to cover Zynga, Glue, and this. this first, game. first impression. Whatever. First
0: impression from from Sorcerers Arena. Uh, I wonder how much their their uh, what's the revenue share with Disney because Disney's giving out their IP like there's no tomorrow. Like yeah. everybody can do a Mickey Mouse game and you know put a hat well, on them
2: yeah but what? that's and that's part of the challenge because actually a lot of the games that have the Disney license look almost exactly the same as this one, yeah. you know, same no. characters, even the same art style, like um you know that per blue game. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, you know and, and then the metrics the metrics online or the metrics on beta are not good, dude they they don't look like they're going to scale that game. It looks
0: I don't even know if they ship that game to be honest, so we'll see oh, shit All right. I think they will because because you still have to pay the minimum guarantee. Uh, whether yeah, whether you ship point. it or not that's a good point so with an ip you always ship otherwise you eat the cost um um yeah i know i know uh, so um, <laughs> all right so let's jump in and let's let's talk about the truth in hyper casual games so this is an article that was i believe on venture beat let me let me click on it uh it yes it was on venture beat and it was written by Omar Kaplan, who's the uh, chief revenue officer and co-founder of Iron Source. so I'm gonna you know read a, a little bit of into this article and then kind of give my summary and then um and then Eric can chime in because you have the most on hyper casual games. <laughs> Do you know about hyper casual games as much as I know about console games. Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> so so uh in other so the hyper casual games have been unprecedented on on have seen unprecedented growth over the past years using the average lifetime value of hyper casual player ba- players based on data from iron source platform on user level revenue the article estimates that approximate market for hyper casual games to be in the region of two billion to two and a half billion in annual revenue and this is actually the first thing that i want to uh, touch upon so so the prediction on how big the hyper casual market is um, I've actually done as well some prediction on the size of the hyper casual market and um, I'm not sure how how Iron source they probably have way better data to calculate it and this is how I calculated the revenue numbers and I got to 1.5 billion so so the way I did it is I summed up the installs of 10 type hyper casual publishers uh, so Pull the data, sensor tower, look at their installs, you know, put them all together. Uh, divide the installs by six to get the DAU. Um, just, you know, approximate number. So that would be, you know, based on, on average retention profile. Then I multiply that by zero. Point 0.05 to get the daily revenue so assuming you know five cent uh revenue per player then multiply that by 30 to get the monthly revenue and then multiply that by 1.5 to get the subcategory revenue so 1.5 is kind of like if you get the top 10 hyper casual publishers that's most of the installs but there's a lot of other ones so so you kind of you know add 50 on top of that and um you know i got to 1.5 billion which is you know 500 million to to 1 billion short of what iron source reports i'm sure they're more right but this is this is the formula that i've used um and we've used on on deconstructor fun and i've actually discussed this with several hyper casual publishers and some of the big publisher Publishers out there and they were kind of like, how did you get this? And then they want to dispute and they're like, actually, it's probably quite right. So anyways, it's let's put it this way. It's it's around two billion, the market size. So even Goldman Sachs is getting into the game uh, with 200 million investment into hyper casual power hubs. Voodoo. That's that's continuing the article. So to understand the effect of hyper casual games um, you uh, and the effect they've had on the industry, it's important to understand why the genre exploded at a, such a fast rate. And Omar uh, go, Omar goes to two reasons. So number one is the demographics and the behavior of today's mobile game players and what kind of games appeal to them. The image of the gamer is not what it used to be, with a third of the gamers being over 45 and women representing 55% of the market. Not the typical image of the hardcore gamer. And the EEDER uh, report on mobile and tablet or is it EDAR EDAR report mobile and EDAR, tablet. Gaming. E- e- R, yeah. Yeah, yeah, EDAR report mobile and tablet gaming further reveals that how and when people play games is also changing. Instead of lengthy playing session, the number one time people play games is while multitasking at home, following waiting for someone while on tra- uh, while on traveling, taking a break and in the bathroom. So players are increasingly looking for low commitment entertainment that they can enjoy in short bursts. Hyper casual fits that fits well with this trend as their click to play games. So hyper casual games usually described as games that basically work offline. Um, You know, you you can play them if you have a finger. They're really easy, uh, quite skill based. Often, Um, the second part, the second point. So the first point was that you know the market is has matured. Everybody's playing games. You know, women, whatnot. They're not typical gamers, and these are so easy games that anybody can get it into, and people are looking for low commitment entertainment, like Instagram. Uh, so the second reason is is the related to hyper-casual's move from relying on cross-promotion as their primary user acquisition strategy to cracking UA at scale. So as ad monetization became a more lucrative revenue source and average revenue per user went up, hyper-casual developers were able to bid more competitively in the UA market. They also honed their design capabilities, investing heavily into creative optimization in order to drive up their IPM so installs per 1000 uh, impressions. For example, hyper casual games with high performing playable ad could bid 40 cents and generate an IPM of 50 versus a mid core developer bidding $5 with a less powerful creative drive and IPM of 3. This ultimately allowed hyper casual developers to make relatively low bids compared with Jean genre- other genres and still generate eCPM which r- which were extremely competitive, so they're talking. You know, um, ad ad partners and iron stars like to talk a lot about IPM. So, how many installs do you get, th- in in thousand impressions? And the way I I, I kind of see the CPI like the, at the easiest, uh, you can calculate the CPI by um, dividing your CPM. Uh, so, how many how many how much how much does it cost to show thousand impressions by IPM on how many installs you get in in um in in those thousand impressions so in that sense your cpm is quite often um mandated by the platform you're showing your ads whether you're showing on instagram or apple ads or you know um youtube whatnot uh Vungle, etc and the ipm is is basically how well those convert so uh with 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 the um the channel quite quite um quite fixed uh, you can affect your creatives by increasing your a- IPM. It divides the CPM, whatever. So very important metric. Uh, you raise that, you decrease your CPI. Now, the questions um, that are concerning hyper-casual games are that is is this a new genre that has helped the market to grow as a whole? So are are they bringing new players to mobile gaming or has it cannibalized from other genres? Uh and, um, and if this has brought new users to the market, are they the ones to be converted players for non-hyper-casual games? So Zomar so is asking in the sense, like, has this grown mobile gaming as a whole uh, or is it just eating from, from other games or uh, have they, you know, brought in more people that are now uh, converting to other games? Because, you know, these are ad-driven games and you show other ads in these games and then kind of like that will be the loop. So... Um, the intro of hypercasual publishers like Voodoo, Quali, Playagendary brought a huge influx of impressions into the market, not only expanding the overall amount of available inventory, but also doing so with inventory ideally suited for hyper-casual UA campaigns. IronSource data shows that this effectively means 20% of new gamers who play both in-app purchase games and hyper-casual games and um, first played hyper casual games Uh, so so they start first playing hyper casual games 20 percent of those and then move to uh, games that are mainly driven by in-app purchases um and and where sort of a hyper casual games confer an almost nurturing effect of new gamers warming up for their in-app purchase games so they're kind of starting off with these super simple games you're showing them ads of a little bit more uh complex games like you know match three games and that's that's their gateway to gaming. And um, um, yeah, and so so data, data also shows, so iron source data also shows hyper-casual users on average see 4.8 video ads, two times more than video ads compared to users playing games in other categories. Hyper-casuals also install on average 10 times more apps when compared with users playing games in other categories. And hyper-casual users also install on average Five times more apps for in-app purchase advertised than user than users playing games in other category. But you also have to take into account that this data, um, I don't know how well they take into account that that you know hyper casual games players see so many more ads. On average, so of course they're going to install so many more other games if they're seeing that many ads. And the depth of a hyper casual game is extremely low. So I don't know how 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 you know good ret- retention numbers are about day one, day three. I kind of feel that it tapers off really quickly because there's not depth in the game. So it makes sense that these players are installing other apps because they're getting uh, used to or bored to to the game that they're playing at the moment. And when we talk about sustainability which is really really important within hyper casual genre we can say that 60% of hyper casual inventory sold to other hyper casual advertisers and this is typical what you see in these games like you're playing you know whole io or whatnot a uh, baseball boy or wh- whatever and then you see um other ads from other hyper-casual games uh, quite often instead of just seeing in-app purchase games. So in this equation, no money changes hands. Out of the remaining 40%, about 33% goes to in-app purchase advertisers, 7% to brands. So this advertising spend in what makes hyper-casual economy sustainable. So the future of hyper-casual games, uh, as they predict, uh, is therefore heavily dependent on whether in-app purchase games learn how to effectively buy on hyper casual inventory and continue to increase the budget and two brands are increasingly understanding the value advertising games will reward a video uh, and how it can bring them in terms of high quality and engage users and high viewability so those are two interesting things on on what are essentially holding holding off um, hyper casual games so um, my summary here is, is, is kind of like this. So um, in my opinion, the, the rise of hyper-casual games has, has really been driven by the extremely low entry barrier. So making this, this type of hyper-casual games takes between a week or two. And Of course, after that, you, you add all the SDKs, you load the creatives and whatnot, so it adds more time. But from the developer perspective, it only takes a week or two to make a game and to test it out on the market. Uh, the second part is low CPI. So it's really easy to convert players to play this game because any any creative can show how this game is played. You can also play these in, in playable ads quite often. So um, your pool of, of potential audience is extremely large. And the third thing is the ultra-aggressive ag- ads monetization. So you can be seeing interstitials and ads and, and video ads and rewarded ads and whatnot at nonstop. Um, you know, just basically nonstop. Every time you play a game... Um, you know, you die and then you have to watch an ad and you play again and so forth. So so these practices create a scenario where LTV beats CPI and that, of course, re- goes to a massive scale. And um, if we analyze, you know, the top player in the market, which is Voodoo, uh, we can clearly see that Voodoo in, in 2018 got about 25% of all the installs in the West uh, out of all the games. So the amount of installs is, is like, you know, one point. I think 1.3 billion installs in in 2018 so it's just insane numbers and the way they did it is is um they they work with a very large amount of of you know talented studios each working on a simple highly testable um and and and, um you know familiar game design and then apply their industry leading marketing so basically they know what's what creatives work and they're really good at, at optimizing ads And those growth practices and then push that game into the top in the app store. And when we look at their, you know, kind of pillars, number one is doing tried and tested game design. So, uh, you know, take any successful arcade game. They have their own kind of like a little bit more cheaper made version out of it. And, And the design pillars for each of these games is just being straightforward, snackable, skill based, watchable and somewhat innovative. So getting players to play it. The number two is just shipping fast and shipping a lot. If you if you look at the amount of games they've shipped during last you know three last last quarter, you can easily you know rack up up to 20, 20 games that they've shipped. So so a lot of these studios they work with they're really small, so you manage your partners and just pull push game out fast and test them and how how they grow. Uh, and when we talk about growth, we're talking about the third factor, which is growing games on a dime. So plus 50% day one retention is crucial. They have very aggressive ad monetization. They have, they're very active on cross promotion and they have high, you know, wide audience pull and really high funnel conversion, which, again, leads to high IPM, which is, again, low CPI and and, and um Yeah, the low CPM is because of the wideness of it. So that that's all into the low CPI. And then uh, for they 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 you know they use rewarded uh, video ads, interstitials, banners, offer walls. So super aggressive ad monetization. And 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 um, and those are the kind of for reasons, but at the same time when we look at this market as a whole, we can kind of see that it's not only wood. We have, you know, Tap Lion Studios, Cheetah Mobile, Miniclip, Ketchup, Legendary, Quali, you name it. So everybody has jumped on this bandwagon in 2018 and it's a red hot ocean. And what we can see clearly that even in 2018 in quarter two, the growth of this of, of installs was, you know, 54% per quarter. So insane. But in Q4, it was down to 7% of growth. And what we actually see is that the installs are down. So installs in quarter one in 2019 are down even more and more. So so uh, not only did the growth stall, but but the amount of installs has actually decreased. And this is, again, because the new publishers have entered. There's really, really um, small entry barrier. And we see these all new publishers entering and they drive the CPIs. Uh, through just the added competition and the fact that they're all making games that are pretty much similar to each other so if i have to kind of you know do a prediction i would i would you know, you know Omer's is asking is is how brands will integrate and move. We've heard about brands coming in into ad monetization or ads in games for such a long time. So, until they really come in, I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I've been hearing about this for the last eight years. So, they're they're more asking on, on like what will happen, not what will happen, but basically, like other games in our purchase their own games have to learn how to uh, advertise their games to players who don't even play games. They're actually playing these hyper casual games just to kill some time. So, I think the real question is whether these hyper casual games will learn how to you know employ hybrid monetization so the cpis have increased due to competition the ltv is basically the retention plus monetization and monetization is ads plus in-app purchases so they have perfected the the uh the ads they have pr- perfected the ipm um the cpm is what it is because it's it's wide audience so the last kind of element out of this formula is in-app purchases so i think that's the that's the element that they will focus on next, and and we we, we will kind of be seeing more and more depth added to to these hyper casual games, and they are kind of be transforming more towards arcade games with hybrid monetization. So again, quickly build, but a little bit more progression and a little bit more incentive to use in-app purchases rather than saying that that you know other games like I don't know the Farmville, the 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 uh, the game of wars and others will learn how to market. Uh, their games to players who don't even care about games and just want these really short sessions. So that's my take. Long talk, please take it over.
1: Sure, I'll I'll uh, jump in here. So my take on this is one. I, I think that we should you know give kudos to Iron Source for you know being a vendor but providing value here and in some thought leadership, like providing real data and, and some insights. So good good job for those guys. I, I know sometimes we can be a little Little snarky about some some of the news sources sometimes, and so you know definitely uh, get to see them doing what they're oh, doing. Oh yeah, we love
0: our sources. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I know they love you too. <laughs> 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 Talked to the. Yeah, and I met with some of those guys today actually, but uh, yeah, they they they, uh, they they definitely love you. Uh, but uh, anyway, hush hush. <laughs> um, <laughs> there seems to uh, so just a few interesting takes. Is one. Um, I thought it was interesting this notion of hyper casual growing the audience and acting as a gateway drug to IEP types of games, and so that's definitely very uh, beneficial for the entire industry. But depending, the 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 other the only other point that I wanted to raise was to go back over some of the um, some of the statistics around hyper casual users, and just try and and you know uh, remember these statistics and, and think if they actually make sense so the first was hyper casual users on average see 4.8 video ads which is two times more than in other categories hyper casual users install on average ten times more apps than other categories Um and hyper casual users install on average five times more apps for IAP advertisers than other uh, than, than users playing games in other categories. So just remember these statistics uh, when we talk about Doe Global and uh, what what Google did in, in a couple of articles later on. Because I just want to um, just question you know I n- hyper casual certainly should be a lot higher than other categories, but. Are these numbers actually a little bit too high? And so we'll we'll kind of talk about that in, in a couple articles from now.
2: Yeah, right. you know, honestly, this is kind of off my radar, so I really don't know much <laughs> yeah. about hyper casual because most of my companies actually make real games. So, um, oh my god! Uh, <laughs> I guess the one stat that kind of like concerns me a little bit is that 60% of the inter- inventory is being sold to other hyper casual advertisers. Really? So it's like, mm-hmm. so your market forecast of 2 billion or whatever is 60% of circle jerk between these guys that are making these games, you know? So I, you know, it doesn't feel like a real market to me. It feels like kind of like, you know, the new hot thing and let's just do this. And it's likely not very sustainable. Um, so actually my question would be, Uh, And I haven't done this and I should is, you know, how effective um, are the 33 percent, the in-app purchasing uh, guys that are that are using hyper casual as a as a uh, advertising vehicle? Now, if those are effective, then there could be a market there. If they can grow that percentage, it could be interesting. But if most the majority of the revenue is being driven by other hyper casual advertisers, that's just not interesting to me anyway yeah it doesn't seem like a valuable ecosystem that the bigger guys are going to get involved with that's that's
0: eric that's actually a really good uh, question and there's, i hope there would be so i'll try to find the link there was this uh this article on medium by by king or some people at king and they were kind of showing this mind map of installs going from one one kind of category one type of games to another yeah. and you would assume that that you know hyper casual like what's the next step from hyper casual what's well, probably match three because you have a lot of these females playing and so forth and it didn't seem that way i don't want to you know go off the rails but um but yeah you're you're absolutely on the right on the right path of asking you know the right question yeah i'll, I'll do the homework there too and ask some folks. Uh, yeah I'll, I'll try to find and link it to this pod, podcast it, it
2: all right fantastic. so the next story back to triple a um <laughs> Respawn, uh, Apex Legends. So there was basically an article um, uh, from the executive producer named McCoy, I think. And he was basically talking about what the plans are for Apex. And this this piece was actually really interesting in the sense that kind of, we I was tracking this ahead of time. Um, and it basically seems to me that the team is not really prepared to to support the game the way clearly that Fortnite is doing, right? And this whole article seemed to be like a kind of a reaction to this Fortnite article about Epic, you know, doing crunch time and, you know, like employees are complaining about working too hard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, it starts talking about... Um, You know, their goal was basically rather than updating on a weekly basis, that they update on a, uh, you know, big beat basis. So every season. So they're going to focus more on the season content updates as opposed to the weekly updates. It also described, you know, basically critics are saying that the game is not being supported enough and that viewership on Twitch is declining. So the game popularity is declining. Um, And then also about, you know, Vince Zampella had a great uh, talk at GamesBeat, which I kind of wish I was at frankly, because it seemed like a pretty cool spot to be. But he said that they, again, that they were really spo- trying to support the game with regular, you know, big updates um, and to make sure that the team wasn't taxed with too much content on the roadmap. And anyway, I'll get to my, my take on this in a little bit, but that was an interesting comment from him. Um, and again, uh, this is like kind of related to this Fortnite issue with, with their development team. Um, then he goes on to say that their teams are working, continuing to work on Star Wars um, and, uh, and Apex, but the, and that Titanfall has been basically pushed uh, to further down the road. It's not um, imminent. Um, so I'm kind of two minds on this, right? So on the one hand, I think Respawn is clearly not doing a good job on this game, you know, keeping pace of the content that their customer wants, you know and and part of it's what Wall Street wants, I'll have to agree, but their customers are not happy with the content that's being provided so far, right? If indeed they were about the player, you know, I think they'd be they should be pretty disappointed at what they've done to date, right? Because fundamentally, the game is not being supported with the right content. the last the season was not delivered in a way that was was really compelling for the consumers, and the player base is just not engaged with the content the way they should be, right? and that's on them right that's that's clearly a fundamental problem with what this what what uh, where the studio is and i think we've said this in a podcast but i've said this a million times like there's two things that can go wrong with apex and the opportunity could be lost one is that ea screws it up because they screw up everything right generally with the games or Respawn's not going to be able to support the game and it just seems like the latter is happening as we speak okay but on the other hand my two minds on this is Respawn can do whatever the hell they want, right? You know, they're in the control of their own destiny. Right? And I think their deal with EA has allowed them a lot more flexibility to do what they want with the game. And if they want to update every, you know, 6 months, so be it, right? But I don't think that's what the customer wants generally speaking. So, anyway, it's up to them. And I and I kind of like that. I think they have, you know, the right kind of view from the perspective of managing their studio, managing their people, and that and that's a good thing. Um but so far i think you know the game is just not being supported enough to maintain the user base and so this is the question i have to ask and answer for my clients and just my understanding is it is because of their philosophy on how they're going to do this and their ability to have their um controlling their own fate is that ultimately going to put it, put them in a situation where they're delivering content too late right where Right now, it basically seems that they're not going to new- do another season until July, right? Because they're an- announcing it in June. Is that too late? I mean, is all, are, is all the audience going to be gone, right? Are they going to miss out on the opportunity of not only making money, which obviously is important to me and my clients, but but also to support the user base that's been really into the game, right? And so this is the kind of the question I have to ask myself. In some ways, and and. The short answer is I don't know, but the longer answer is that I, what I think is that this this game is kind of fitting in this niche in which it's competing against Call of Duty and PUBG, and it's a really great game. And I think if they do create the best kind of content for the next July update, I think players will come back, and I think they will engage with the content and spend money. So I think it's going to be a continually good IP for, for EA. However, I still think they're missing on huge opportunities to keep the player base engaged for much longer and 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 more frequent and also missing out on tons of revenue. So that's kind of my take. What do you think, Joe?
1: Cool. So yeah, I think to your point earlier about this article potentially being a reaction to the uh, you know to the conversation and, and and the issues around epic and having massive crunch there. It, this article did kick off a fairly large debate about just work-life balance in general in in our deconstructor fund Slack channel, and so from my own perspective, you know, uh, just just to give you a little flavor of how I think, I actually personally don't believe in work-life balance, at least for me personally. And, and so when I say that, just to be clear, I do not speak on behalf of my employer, but just in my own personal experience, like every hit product I've been a part of or been launched by my friends who have sold their companies for. You know, tons of money. All of these things were developed out of work-life imbalance and through massive crunch. And so, for me, it's it's hard to think about. You know, if you're expecting extraordinary results and extraordinary outcomes, to be thinking about, well, we're just going to kind of you know uh, work nine to five and expect those extraordinary results. So, anyway, not to open up a can of worms here, because I do think there's a lot of. Um, lot of nuance and other issues related with this, including, you know, pro- uh, proper compensation, uh, you know, just the amount of crunch, having management and leadership take responsibility when crunch is actually their fault due to poor planning. But, you know, I guess, you know, I, I'll just say, I wish I knew of a way to create hit products with teams that aren't, you know, working super, super hard and crunching and being able to spend Weekends with their families and things like that. So, but um, you know, anyway, I I personally don't know how to do it. Uh, doesn't mean it can't be done. But I, you know, if if people out there know how to do it, I really love to meet that studio and the people who have and and for them to show me how to do it. But you know, that's kind of my take on that. And then with with respect to response decision not to force crunch to deliver better live ops for Apex Legends. To your point, Eric, I totally agree with you. It's it's not what players. You know, it doesn't meet player expectations. It's, and, and while it's definitely a choice I respect, it's, you know, if, if I were in charge of respawn, it's probably not one I would have pushed for if I were there, but I probably would have tried to work on how to make it worthwhile for the team to put in the extra work, you know, making it fair uh, because all too many times, you know, there is crunch. It's forced on the operational team. The operational team has to make the big sacrifices for leadership and then, you know, if if it's just management and leadership getting enriched, then that's that's kind of bullshit, right? So anyway, long story short, uh, I do feel Fortnite at this point does have the upper hand, has a greater commitment to success that will allow them to scale much more strongly than Apex. I don't think Apex kind of fails from this, but I, I do see, you know, much, much uh, lower um, overall market share and uh, risk of of uh, players um, moving over back to Fortnite or moving over. But wasn't wasn't
0: it, wasn't it the case that that Eric mentioned before? It's not Fortnite versus Apex Legends. It's it's Overwatch versus Apex Legends, and in that case, they are really winning it. So, um, you know,
1: yeah, that, yeah, that but, could be true. Um, yeah, that was actually if, one if of it the, is just the last, last point players, I was yeah. going to make that,
0: um, before we move on. Is
2: that? Um, it is true. Like I'm basically seeing the evidence that really it isn't competing at all with Fortnite or that Fortnite audience. Certainly there was overlap in the in the two audiences in terms of people that moved over from Fortnite and moved back. But the audience in which they're absolutely destroying is basically Overwatch and Call of Duty. And so I do think, and this is kind of my, my broader thesis on this, is that that core audience is still going to be engaged in the best thing out there. And there's really nothing coming out in that genre until you know the next uh, um, Call of Duty. So at the end of the day, this is gonna be the best experience for them out there. And I don't think they're gonna go back to Overwatch. And I don't think Call of Duty is gonna get people back. I think they're gonna be waiting for this content potentially. Um, so in that space, they're still being super competitive. But again, they'd be much more competitive if they, if they <laughs> updated the content, right? And provided a compelling chase you know, for, their, for the last season. Which they just didn't accomplish. And my last point I'll make is that look at the end. And the, the reality is, is that this studio was not set up for this kind of pipeline of content development, right? It's just they just don't know how to do it, right? It's not easy to set this thing up. You know, it's not like hire a gazillion people and then like and then you can make this happen. You know, I think the Fortnite developers had a lot more time in order to build this up because the Cup game became popular over a series of six months not over a series of two weeks right <laughs> so they they're just they're a victim of their own success to some degree and they just don't have that processes in place in order to to create the type of content that they need to support their player base so hopefully they can build that over time and and again bring people back that's my hope anyway for EA's sake.
0: yeah and and they've and they've also the thing is like they've committed to the uh, the Star Wars games. It's not like they can put the Star Wars game on hold because again it's an IP. They can put their own Titanfall game on hold and concentrate on Apex Legends, but you know you have to push out the Jedi. So so I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I'm more interested on on like I remember the the uh, conversation that was had on on the Constructor Fun Slack channel regarding or regarding Crunch, and I was. I remember I was kind of like reading like there were some funny stories, funny funny stories and and of course um, when you're young uh, crunching is is not as bad I mean you want to be at work you want to ship something awesome but talking about crunch and live operations that's you know there's no end in sight so so it's not like you're gonna you know release this product or so let's push the last few months or and and get this game out and and you know see it succeed it's more like well, you know let's keep doing this until what? So um I I don't advocate that much crunch uh in 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 live operation of course sometimes um sometimes uh sometimes it, you know it makes sense when when um when you know you're finalizing your update and you're releasing those bold beats and there's something new coming out but but um yeah it was it was I have to say it was it was interesting discussion because I kind of went back thinking about, you know, my own career and then, you know, days you had to work a lot, days you had to work a little bit less and so forth. And um, at first I thought that if if crunching was normal in in games, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't be in games because, you know, family is, is, you know, is really important. But then I thought about like <laughs> we have this deconstructor fun thing on the side. So we're essentially working a lot more. We kind of have like two jobs. And I was like, fuck, am I crunching? <laughs> So, so if I leave, my
1: job if, and, if you're crunching doing something, you really yeah are, yeah. yeah. So thinking.
0: so then I kind of go back because it has such a negative impact on, on on the whole word and everything. But but then but when you kind of combine all this game stuff together, we are essentially crunching all the time because we we leave work, you know, we hang out with the kids a little bit, and then we start the other work, and and um and you do that, you know, happily often. So. The, you know i don't know it was just i was kind of like thinking that maybe there's a there's also positive side of the of the crunch like not the one that you're you're forcing dads to sleep under the table and paying them the same salary essentially but but sometimes it's it's more like you're doing something amazing together and and you know it's it's not nine to five because people want to want to work on it more and more and more and you're not forcing anybody you're just providing incentives for people to work and then providing them you know the pizzas the food the kind of stuff like oh you want to stay late okay let me sh- make sure that if you want to stay late let me make sure that that you're comfortable where you're here or you're comfortable when you're working with your friends but of course uh, in no occasion should it be forced in my opinion or if it is it should be well, well, well compensated and it should be, everybody should understand why we're working the extra hours. Like it's, it should be crucial. So.
1: Right, um, oh, just, just one, one, one quick point on that, you know, we mentioned one of the developers that people should keep their eye on, which mm-hmm. is Lilith. But one of the interesting things that Lilith did at least, you know, a, a few years ago when when, when I visited their studio was that um, they actually make uh, working weekends optional and so, like, if you work Saturday or work Sunday, um, if you work on those days, you get paid for those extra extra days. So you, if and if you don't, you just don't get paid for it. So there, I think there are like some interesting, uh, you know, not necessarily solutions, but interesting ways of, of of motivating that that extra time needed to complete projects and things without. And with and with it being a little bit more fair as well.
0: Mm, that, that's that's a good one. That's that's definitely good. Yeah. But
1: oh, what, one final note mm-hmm. So I, I was actually at that Vince Zampella uh, talk when when he talked about um, when he talked about uh, Apex as well as um, the the new uh, the new Jedi Order game, and uh, he did w- want to make it clear that there are actually two completely separate teams working on that. And so I think there was like I think he was hearing some chatter about you know, maybe the Jedi game impacting Apex and, and, and vice versa. But he's like, he was, he wanted to make it clear that that actually doesn't, that, 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 that there is no risk of that. And um, it's kind of funny too, because after his talk, I, I, I try to stalk him because I I, I was hoping we could Good get luck. Him on, on this podcast, but then he kind of ninja smoke bomb. Yeah. He, he, well, he just totally ninjas and he like disappeared. Like it, it was very, you know, I mean, he, <laughs> He just literally like kind of disappeared, but um, that that would that would be cool if we could get something like that to happen in the future.
0: All right. Let's, anyway, let's, okay.
1: So let's, moving on to the let's oh, make this the last one
0: because you know it's it's getting late for you and it's getting early for me. So
1: <laughs> okay, sounds good. Um, so the last article is Google is banning a Play Store developer with more than half a billion app installs. And this article was actually uh, published, of all news publications, but BuzzFeed, and they basically published a news investigation of Chinese Android developer Doe Global, suggesting that that publisher had a lot of apps that were committing ad fraud. And so then Google then began removing a mass number of apps from, uh, from Doe Global, As of the posting of uh, the news article, 46 apps were taken down, and Doe Global no longer appeared as a vendor in Google's AdMob network. So Doe Global had over 100 apps in the Play Store with over 600 million installs. Um, And in terms of more information about the company, Doe Global was spun out of Baidu, although Baidu still retains a 34% stake in the company. Uh, and basically, what was happening, and, and what the fo- this form of ad fraud that BudSfeed was reporting was uh, a form of of ad fraud called click spamming. And what that means is that when a player had the app um, playing in the background, there would be some code that goes out and just clicks a bunch of uh, of, of, of ads for for other apps. And so. So basically, as as you use this this one app, you know, there's just going to be a list of ads that um, that the uh, that 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 the app just goes and like clicks on those ads in, in the background. And so, I did ask that you tr- you remember some of the um, some of the st- statistics from uh, the Iron Source Hyper Casual article. But, you know, one of the things that I, I wonder about just given some of those numbers and just given that um, a lot of this fraud is happening on these sort of hyper-casual, casual games is, is you know, whether some of the st- statistics that we're seeing is is actually, you know, really uh, do, do hyper-casual players really like watch that many more ads or click on that many more ads or install apps that many more times or how much of that is actually, you know, clicks click spamming and and stealing attribution from, you know, um, uh, you know, so, so how much of that is, is just based upon ad fraud in, in those, um, in, in those apps. And I will say a lot of, uh, you know, hyper casual, um, I I think the, um, the, the study or the, um, the, uh, the, the analysis of, um, the companies that are actually committing ad fraud actually was, was not just O Global included a bunch of other, um, uh, publishers as well, including Cheetah Mobile and some others, and so uh, you know, I just think um, while I believe in in, in the growth of hyper casual and in that um, the overall growth and, and it's because of overall growth in ad monetization, I do think that some of it, it just in my own personal opinion, is probably also related to to, to fraud. Anyway, good news is that action is being taken to clean up the industry, but I think there's, uh, there's, there's probably a lot more way to go. And one of the other kind of, you know, since, since I'm the rumor guy, um, being here at MEAU, I actually did find out who actually report, reported the Doe Global guys, and that was actually Kochava. So Kochava did the study. They found the fraud. They sent this info hey, to to Buzzfeed. Oh my. Um,
0: Joe, you're 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 yeah. breaking out just the last one. So the most important thing, the connection kind of lost. Unless somebody's <laughs> hacking you at this moment, so that you don't uh, reveal <laughs> who's who who the other one because it's really suspicious. You're about yeah, to you're, say something, you're, you're, and then you uh,
2: kind of disappear. being the rumor guy, and your rumor is getting <laughs> no, cut think. off by your bad connection. So
1: um the rumor guy so i'm the rumor guy and i actually found out who who, who actually did the now? analysis and found the ad fraud and sent it to buzzfeed
0: and that, that, that <laughs> that's was, the vegas like, connection the oh he's uh, he's, he's uh, in yeah, vegas so right good now job right. okay that makes sense <laughs> all right yeah so are, are you all right so joe yep. i think we lost joe I think on. Do you want to run the PlayStation news? Yeah. But Joe can't comment. Let's on that. not do that. We'll, we'll wait till next week when
2: we have some more things to rant about. Eric, I'm, up to you? I'm just, you know, I'm ranted out right now. It's time to go to bed. But uh, <laughs> just. But you're at least,
0: at least right. I'm, with I'm right with Zinga right now.
2: On Monday, I'll find out if I'm right about Glue, and then I will eat Crow on the next podcast, or I'll celebrate my genius. One of the two, <laughs> right? Um, Anyway, well, <laughs> all right. it's good chatting. Um, I'm going to go get some sleep.
0: We'll um, talk to you next week. Excellent. Great, See talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to everybody.